Well, top of the morning to you, Matt Macucci. Hello, everyone. Hello, Brian. You know, Matt, you're Irish. I I heard there's actually there's the rest of the phrase. What you're supposed to respond to if somebody says "top of the morning" to you is "in the rest of the day to yourself." You ever heard that? Does that make any sense? <laughs> okay, so then let's do a take two <laughs> on that. Actually, <laughs> no, forget it. <laughs> I've never heard that said, you know. But I guess not. Not a lot of people in Ireland, and this could make come as a shock to people to say that. <laughs> Uh, you know, greet each other by saying top of the morning. Isn't that funny? Well, you learn something every day. Well, anyway, hey, we'll just jump right in. We've got another episode of Jazz's Backstage Pass. And this one's a really good one, Matt. Yes, because my guest is the trombonist Steve Davis. Now, I know you've heard of Steve Davis. But for those of our listeners who haven't, I mean, this guy is really just one of the best. And I mean, the best modern hard bop trombonists out there when you think of straight ahead jazz today his name is really at the top of the list and this is actually one of his tunes this is can't complain from his new album correlations he um and he's played with some of the greatest ensembles not just of today but of all time um, most people know him for his work with the group uh, One for All, which has put out some phenomenal albums recently, recently on the Smoke Sessions label. And that group's been together for over 20 years. But he was also a member of the great saxophonist Jackie McLean Sextet. But uh, get this, Steve was also in the last iteration of Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers. Like he was the last messenger ever hired by Art Blakey. Um, And we talk a little bit about that, too, during the interview. Like that moment he got the call from Art Blakey. It was like, show up at the gig. He's got great stories. As you can imagine, anyone who's played with both Art Blakey and Jackie McLean is going to have some some great stories. Um, And I know you know a little bit about Steve because uh, his latest album, Correlations, was in our 10 albums you need to know list for March. Yeah, it's a, it, Correlations is a fascinating uh, album, which I think revolves a lot around the theme of, uh, of mentors. In fact, you know, Brian, I was listening to the album um, just the other day, and it dawned on me that Davis is really quite a generous leader. Because uh, even though like over, other, over, over half of the songs on the album are his original compositions, I mean, he seems to really give each of the musicians on the group a chance to shine, basically on each one of the tracks. So, and I, I kind of see it as also maybe even room to grow. Yeah, and we definitely get into that because the young band he has assembled for this disc is just phenomenal. He's got uh, Josh Bruno on trumpet, who is just like an emerging star. He's amazing. Wayne Escoffrey on tenor sax, got Xavier Davis on piano, Desron Douglas on bass, and Jonathan Barber on drums. So just a fantastic ensemble. And as you'll hear in the interview, Steve thinks there's just a ton of potential for this group. Um, Yeah, he's a hilarious guy, full of jokes, great sense of humor. Um, And coincidentally, he and I are huge baseball nerds, so get to hear us talk some baseball too. Um, but yeah, I'm really, really excited to bring you this interview, and I hope you enjoy it, Matt, and I hope everyone does out there as well. Can't wait to hear it. Let's dive right in, shall we? 
Hi, this is trombonist Steve Davis, and you're listening to Jazz's Backstage Pass. Anyways, would love to start off um, by talking about the new project, Correlations, which is a very, very hip disc. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and I love that you decided to bring a, you know, it's not a large ensemble, but this isn't a quartet record either. You know, um, it's a nice sizable group and that seems to be a comfortable fit for you. I mean, you have played in some of the most prestigious ensembles of this size in jazz. I'm thinking of, you know, Art Blakey's jazz messengers, first and foremost, Chick Corea's origins. You were in a sextet, uh, you were in Jackie McLean's sextet. Benny Golson's new jazz tet, and of course, one for all. Um, but with this CD, you're introducing uh, an ensemble that's all your own. Tell me a bit about this ensemble. Sure, uh, I'd love to. Um, you know, the band is the the classic uh, trumpet, tenor sax, trombone, uh, piano, bass, and drums, uh, acoustic bass. So it's it's the classic front line with the three horns. And, um, but I, you know, I find that to, to have the three voices is always a great and very fertile option, uh, as far as, you know, voicings and a little bit of counterpoint and, and, and also having three soloists on the front line that are foils for one another and, and all have their own approach and different timbres and we can play backgrounds behind one another. We can write little interludes and. Um, it's, it's, it's just fun, you know, to kind of bounce off of each other and, you know, all of us have a, a lot of shared history and musical influences. Uh, five of the six of us, with the exception of Xavier, um, have roots to Hartford, Connecticut and, uh, Jackie McLean's mentorship, um, and have played together there and in the, in, in New York and then all over the world now with different groups and, so there's just a very nice blend of personalities and, and friendships and history. And uh, I, I just love, love this band. It, it, it really works. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you guys have a, a great chemistry. Um, and the, the name of the album is Correlations. And as you mentioned, there is kind of a common thread that binds all you guys, which you can trace back you know, even though it may be buried uh, under a couple of generations through Jackie McLean and, and what he's, the program he established at uh, the hard school. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your history there and, you know, apprenticing under Jackie and what that was like to study with him? I could just go on and on about Jackie McLean's legacy. And like you said, buried or sort of uh, uh, played out through future generations to musicians like Josh Bruno and Jonathan Barber, who never met Jackie. They, they just missed him, but they got the concept, you know, um, from us. And, and now they're, they're their own great musicians. And um, as far as the correlations band, I love having, you know, a couple younger cats and a couple of veteran cats. And then somehow I'm the elder statesman of the band. <laughs> and uh, it's a different, perspective for me uh I'm, I'm used to being the young guy and then i looked up a few years back and i'm not the young guy anymore um but that's cool that's all part of it and uh 
yeah, we all just hit it off and, uh, it's, it's really fun. And, um, I'm still teaching at heart, uh, right now. And, uh, it's just a fantastic program. We have Javon Jackson is, has been our chair, a uh, jazz department chair the last five, six years. And Lene McLean, Jackie's son is there. It's, it's a great program. So we're very proud of all of that. Awesome. Awesome. You know, turning back to the album, there's also a real kind of personal element to the project and especially to a lot of these tunes. Um, for example, you've got this song there called Song for My Love that's dedicated to your wife. And I understand that your daughter helped you compose a track, Newbie? <laughs> yeah, well, she didn't really help me compose it, but she helped, she named it. <laughs> she, uh, Angie, yeah, she's she's named about three of my tunes o- over the years. Um, and uh, my daughter, Angie's 17 now. Um, she just auditioned at the hard school uh, last weekend, and she wants to go into music education like her mother. Uh, Mary, Mary DePaulo, who's uh, my ex-wife, who's a, a great pianist and, and music educator up in the Connecticut, Hartford area. And But yeah, one day I'm sitting at the piano and Angie's hanging out. She heard me playing this little ditty and I'm kind of thinking, is this really going to be a tune? You know, And she comes over, sits next to me and says, hey, daddy, what's that? A newbie? I like it. And I thought, well, she's she's got a track record for picking out the hits so i said you know if you like it and and i just thought newbie perfect that's it <laughs> is anyone else in like are your other kids musical yes uh my oldest son my oldest child tony is 24 now and he's a really great guitar player um he lives in new york he's getting his master's at city college and uh tony's uh, gigging around town and um you know he and i love to play together um, but he's also working with people like Mike Ladon and, and the Groover Quartet when Peter Bernstein or Paul Ballenbeck can't make it. Tony's getting the call to do the gig at Smoke Jazz Club in New York. And that, that has nothing to do with me. That's uh, that's all him. But you must be very proud, man. Very proud. He, he can he, he can really play. So I can't wait to record with him in the near future. Yeah. And then my youngest child. Uh, is Nikki uh, Nicholas? He's like mini me of Tony. He's he's twelve, and then Angie is is the uh, diva in the middle, <laughs> at at seventeen. So, uh, but Nikki loves music too. He plays alto and tenor sax now, and he's he's really into the music. And Angie's singing and and uh, doing the piano. And yeah, it's it's just great. I understand your family was a big influence, obviously, for the CD. But you've also got a track on there inspired by, am I getting this right? Tony Batista, former infielder for, among other teams, the Toronto Blue Jays and the Baltimore Orioles and a few others. I understand you're a huge baseball fan. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Who's your team? Oh, you're probably not going to like it, but it's the Boston Red Sox. Hey, no, I have no beef with that. Yeah, I've, I've been a, a lifelong fan of the Red Sox. I was born in 1967 in Worcester, Mass. Um, I didn't grow up there cause I'd say Worcester and Pactica and all that, but, but I, but I, my grand sir, my, my grandfather on my dad's side, we call him grand sir. That, that should tell you something, but he, uh, he, he was born in 1912 in Bradford, Mass right near Boston. That's the year Fenway was built by the way. And so, you know, we, 
because of him, we sort and my dad, my uncle were lifelong Red Sox fans, so it's kind of in the family. And so, yeah, I mean, I've I, I grew up loving the Red Sox, and when they always broke your heart, they always took you to the altar and left you there in Game Seven. <laughs> so I was, yeah, I think I was thirty-seven when they finally won it all. So. Wow. Yeah, and you've had a few good years since then. I am a huge baseball fan myself. What's your team, Brian? I grew up in South Florida, so I am a fan of the lowly Miami Marlins. And uh, we've stunk for many years, but this could be the beginning of a turnaround. Oh, yeah. No, it's just a matter of time. Just a matter of time. They, you know, right now they're down, but they're rebuilding. You got Jeter there. And uh, wow, that's that's cool. Yeah, you, you sound like an authentic baseball man. <laughs> Well, thank you. As do you. As do you. Um, You know, you mentioned, Steve, that you were born in 1967. So you were coming up, you know, in the late 60s and 70s. Were you growing up? Were you listening to jazz? And if so, what were you listening to? Well, um, not consciously uh, at first. Uh, That that didn't happen until I was about ninth grade, maybe 14 years old. and the record that got me, uh, I actually heard it on the radio. I, I was with my dad. We were on Cape Cod for a week in a little cottage, just having a little family vacation. And uh, he had the radio, little portable radio playing, you know, and it was staticky. But there was this great music. And uh, I just asked him. It was in the evening. He's smoking a pipe, you know. I said, Dad, what's, what's that? He said, "Oh, that's that's Lee Morgan. That's that's called the Sidewinder." Yes. <laughs> and I said, "Yeah." I said, "Man, I love that. That wow, that's great." He goes, "Oh yeah, you like that, huh?" He said, "Well, you you've actually heard this before. I I I have it at home." And I said, "You do?" And I was listening to you know Jimi Hendrix and the Rolling Stones and uh, the Beatles and whatever current rock and roll in in the late seventies, early eighties. Um, and the blues. Um, my my dad also had a lot of Muddy Waters and BB King, Otis Rush, Buddy Guy. So th- those were gods in my household. So, you know, i I heard all I heard the blues a lot early in my life, and and always loved it. And then, you know, like any other kid of that era, um, just whatever. And I I loved the radio and Stevie Wonder and Paul Simon, Billy Joel, whatever. You know, uh. And then I, it just kind of was like a lightning bolt when I heard the Sidewinder. Oh, Lee Morgan will do it to you, man. You know, hard bop, that'll suck you right in. But so, you you know, you've got Lee Morgan on the one hand, you got Hendrix and Billy Joel on the other. Out of all this, what made you want to pick up the bone? Oh, God. Yeah, you know, my, my love of music was never instrument specific. Um I just love the feel of jazz music and, and, and all kinds of music, you know, classical music and blues and rock and roll and, and later on hip hop and Latin music and, you know, whatever. But, but I, uh, yeah, something about jazz. I, I just love the feel of it and I just wanted to be a part of it. So I was playing trumpet. I got braces at, at a young age. I wanted to quit. Because the braces, they gave you wax to put on, you know, it was awful. It was just yeah, horrible. And uh, my old man told me, well, you know what your grandson always said? I said, uh-oh, here it comes. Because my mother said, you have to ask your father, you know, if you can quit. And I, oh, geez. So he said, the king is the man who can. 
and Davises aren't quitters. So I took that as a no, you can't quit the trumpet. And right. <laughs> and so I asked uh, Mr. Ross, who was my band director. This was in Binghamton, New York, upstate, where I grew up. And he said, well, Stephen, you could play the euphonium. And the mouthpiece will be bigger on your, I was a little guy, you know, fifth grade. It won't cut your teeth as much. And you can use the same fingerings as a, as like a B flat treble clef baritone horn. Now I went from being 11th coronet, you know, <laughs> in the band to the one and only baritone player. And sometimes you're playing like a tuba. Other times you're playing with the trombones. Other times you're playing little hybrid you know, little runs with the flutes and clarinets on a Sousa march or whatever. And, and then, you know, some of the, some of the students, uh, young ladies who, I know it sounds cliche, they were playing woodwinds, but that's just what was happening in 1978 or nine. Uh, you know, there were a few, uh, girls that I had a crush on and they're playing flute and piccolo and clarinet and I'm playing with them and they turned around and smiled at me. I thought, geez, I kind of like this. You were hooked. That was it. But, but, you know, all kidding aside, I, I really love the sound of the baritone horn to this day. It's a round, lush, beautiful sound. And, uh, and, uh, I, I don't know. That's, I think that was how I found my voice. And so I, I had fun with that. But then finally, when I wanted to be in the, in the stage band or the jazz or big band, uh, Mr. Mayola was a cool director of that and he said yeah you should learn slide trombone and not play baritone in the trombone section so i just kind of wound up on the trombone kind of later ninth grade uh but once i started listening i i love the clarity of the sound then i heard a record cape verde and blues horace silver because i was into the blue note records already and then there's jj johnson on half of that record in, in the mid 60s when he is at his peak I mean I didn't know that at the time I just was lucky enough that my dad had it I put it on I said that's a trombone like I'm in that's it take a quick break in the action here just to thank some of our sponsors. Today's episode is supported by the 2019 St. Lucia Jazz Festival, produced in collaboration with Jazz at Lincoln Center. It's taking place May 4th through May 12th on one of the most beautiful islands in the Caribbean. Events will be staged throughout St. Lucia and promise to be more spectacular and more intimate than ever. Distinct experiences include a gospel jazz brunch on Mother's Day, jazz cruises under the stars, one-of-a-kind collaborations including performances by superstar vocalist Ladisi and jazz heavyweights Gregory Porter and Christian McBride, concerts in waterfront venues, open-air performances with St. Lucia's landscape as a stunning backdrop, and a special evening with students from the St. Lucia School of Music. Tickets and hotel packages are on sale now. Visit stlucia.org, that's S-T-L-U-C-I-A dot org, to learn more. And another thank you to the 2019 Norfolk Waterfront Jazz Festival in downtown Norfolk, Virginia, celebrating its 37th year. 
This fest is set for August 23rd and 24th. It's the perfect time to chill to the legendary sounds of top national smooth jazz and R&B recording artists. This popular festival features a variety of seating and ticket options, including the New Journal and Guide VIP Club, reserved seating, designated tent areas, festival lawn seating, fine foods and beverages, plus a festival marketplace with crafts, retail items, and more. To check out the artist lineup, head on over to our website and click that Norfolk Waterfront Jazz Fest banner. And another thank you to the New Jersey Performing Arts Center in Newark. Coming up for them right around the corner on April 6th, a performance by bassist and living jazz legend Reggie Workman. One of the most technically astute bassists in jazz, Workman is known for his timeless contributions to both John Coltrane's quartet and Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers. Buy tickets at njpac, that's N-J-P-A-C dot org. We'd also like to thank Smoke Sessions Records, who in May will be releasing a new album from legendary vocalist Mary Stallings. The album's called Songs Were Made to Sing, and it's due out May 17th. On it, the incomparable vocalist has crafted an exquisite collection of classic songs to reflect on a life well and passionately lived. For more info on this and all other Smoke Sessions releases, visit the label's website at smokesessionsrecords.com. Another big thanks to Blue Note Records. Exciting news for them. They've just signed a new vibraphone player named Joel Ross to their roster, and his debut for the label is slated for May 3rd. The album's called Kingmaker, and with it, Ross adds his name to an illustrious jazz vibraphone legacy on the legendary label that extends from Milt Jackson to Bobby Hutcherson to Stefan Harris and now to Ross. Check them out at bluenote.com. Thanks also to Deezer, an online music streaming service that offers over 53 million tracks and over 100 million playlists. Deezer lets you discover artists you'll love with personalized recommendations from the Deezer editors. It's available in more than 180 countries and has over 14 million users and counting. We regularly post playlists to this platform. Our latest is an essential list of jazz guitar songs. To hear it, just visit Deezer.com and Google Jazz Is. And finally, we'd like to thank the Adrian Arch Center for the Performing Arts here in Miami, Florida. Coming up for them as part of the Jazz Roots series, Sergio Mendez with From Brazil with Love. The three-time Grammy Award-winning producer, composer, keyboardist, and vocalist returns to the Arch Center for a great evening of bossa nova and samba. That's taking place April 12th at 8 p.m. Tickets available at arshtcenter.org. That's A-R-S-H-T-C-E-N-T-E-R.org. All right, now back to our conversation with Steve Davis. We're going to pick up on the day he received the call from Mr. Art Blakey, that's right, Buhena himself, to come join the Jazz Messengers. Let's get to it. Uh, I got the call from Jackie McLean the day after Christmas, 1989. I was home in Binghamton for two days. I had been going to Sweet Basil where the Messengers played a two-week run every year leading up to Christmas and leading up to New Year's. So I had been around. I went home for two days, and Jackie McLean called me, my former teacher, and and uh, he said, Steve, ca- call this number. He gave me a 212 number. It was Art Blakey's apartment, and he said, Buhana's looking for you, man. Call him right away. What? You know, so I called, and the phone was passed around about four or five times, and then finally I heard, hello, 
I said, oh my God, it's, it's him. And uh, I had met Art a few times and sat in once with the band a few months before, but I really didn't expect this call. And he said he needed me that night. And uh, and I'm in Binghamton. Wow. Three hours plus away. And it's three in the afternoon, but the gig started later then. They started around 9, 30, 10 o'clock. So he said, I'm going to need you down to the club tonight, Steve. Can you make it? Of course, I said, yes. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll figure oh, out the transportation out the, you know, later, yes. I'll start jogging, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll get there. So, um, but, you know, I, I joined the band, um, Frank Lacey, the great trombonist and my good friend uh, over the years, he was still in the band. This is how Art liked to do things. He, he'd bring someone in on the same instrument just to see what happens. Interesting. And, oh yeah. And, uh, it it wasn't the easiest situation. I mean, if you were Frank Lacey, would you want to see some little guy coming along? You know, no. <laughs> so um, it was a little tense, but but uh, we got through it, and I tried to keep my mouth shut and and play what I could play. There were no music stands, no charts, no rehearsal. You just sink or swim. And you either knew the book or whatever you, you knew you could play. And... Uh, that was an incredible learning experience. Oh yeah. I mean, I was going to, he's just a walking, you know, jazz education program. Art Blake, he is. Um, what, you know, specific, you're a teacher now. Um, and I'm curious what, what, you know, specific skills you took away from Art Blakey that now you now translate to your students. Wow. Well, I, you know, I can, I mean, J- Jackie McLean was an incredible influence on me. Who was a jazz messenger, by the way, in the '50s? So that I, you know, I'm so proud and honored to be part of that lineage, and I wound up being the last jazz messenger, right? Uh, ever. You were on the final recording. Months. Yeah, yeah. Which happened to be my song was was the title, uh, "One for All." Right. Um, and then the band years later took its name from that song. And that's a whole story too. It wasn't my idea actually, but, but, uh, but anyway, you know, it's to answer your question, uh, I can sum it up. Uh, my first trip off the East coast of the United States ever was to Los Angeles and Seattle, San Francisco with, with the messengers a few months after I joined the band and we had played a few runs at sweet basil and had recorded so we here we go. We get to Los Angeles, Catalina's in Hollywood. First night, Freddie Hubbard sitting at a table directly in front of me because he lived out there. Came to see his old mentor, Art Blakey. And my spot was right in front of the drums. So Art Blakey's right behind me. Freddie Hubbard's right in front of me. I'm thinking, how did, how did my little 22-year-old Binghamton Hartford self, you know, get, get here. And, uh, <laughs> and so I'm, you know, I'm scared to death, but, but thrilled at the same time. So we play the first set, everything went pretty well, more or less. And we're coming off the bandstand and Art comes off the drums. He puts his arm around me. He says, Hey, Steve, didn't show me up in front of everybody. He just pulled me aside quietly. And he whispered in my ear, just like this. He said, you make your statement. You build to a climax, and you get the bleep out. Simple, right? I said, yeah, Art. He said, well, do it then. And then he walked in the bar. <laughs> oh, my God. 
you know, as a 22 year old, were you like burning up inside? Were you like, yeah, I mean, I, I appreciated it just, just yes, sir. And, and, uh, you know, I think before that, uh, maybe during that set, I believe I, I was playing and he was doing all his stuff behind my solo on the Tom Toms and press rolls and do bap, 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 and all that, you know, and it was, it was so happening. So I thought, wow, maybe I should take another one. So I took another, so another chord. And then I heard, I heard him saying something, or something. And then I heard clear as day, get out that hole. <laughs> so, so that's not good. You know, so I thought, okay, I'm never going to hear that again. Were you like, you know, burying your head or did you take it in stride? Yeah, I could have hung my head. I could have felt sorry for myself, but no, I, I wasn't feeling that way at all. I felt like that makes sense. And it, it, it was very direct and genuine. That stuck with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Uh, Jackie McLean was great like that too. Um, he was very encouraging as was art. You know, it, it wasn't always hard, tough stuff. You know, it was, a, uh, and, and, and Jackie, uh, was very encouraging and, and made you feel 10 feet tall until you did something really corny or just not hip or just the, just the wrong stuff. And then he'd let you know. And, and it wasn't a, it wasn't a picnic, you know? Uh, <laughs> uh, so, but, but I wouldn't trade that for the world, you know, I, cause I learned, I learned, and, and it was only because he cared so much about the music and he cared about you and he wanted you to get it, to really get it and honor this tradition and, and do it right. And, uh, you know, I got a lot of stories about Jay Mack like that. Uh, one night I, at the Vanguard, early on in the band, this is early, a few years after the Messengers, and I was in Jackie's sextet and so thrilled to be there. So uh, I bought a new blazer, like a sport jacket that had some patterns in it, and then a pair of slacks and a tie. And, you know, it wasn't terribly loud, but it wasn't just a plain, like, dark, gray or olive or black suit or dark navy blue it was it had some stuff going on so i come in thursday night third night of a six night run at the vanguard tuesday to, tuesday to sunday i come in thursday i'm early feeling ready to go hey jay mack and he looked at me hey guy and he called me guy and you know i thought uh oh what did i do you know and so then he's greeting all the other band members nat reeves and alan palmer eric mcpherson the drummer you know Renee, uh, Renee wasn't there at the time. Oh, yes, he was. Renee McLean. Anyway, I'm kind of skulking out in the hallway by the payphone at the van Vanguard thinking, what did I do? And then I heard clear as day. Nat Reeves came out to check on me. He said, it's all right, buddy. You know he loves you. Just just, just play your way back, you know. <laughs> and then I heard clear as day. Okay, uh, Lorraine Gordon came. Okay, Jackie, it's time to go. It's time to hit. And I heard Jackie say, Where, where's Stevie D? And I said, he's out here, Jackie. And he says, yeah. And he knew I was hearing this. And he said, yeah, okay, tell him it's time to hit. And tell him, you know, save his hip stuff <laughs> for Sunday night and put on a dark suit like the rest of us. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, y'all, here we go. <laughs> Minor March. And he called that tune Wake Up Call because it was 400 miles an hour. And uh, 
And so let's say wake up call, y'all. So now you got to go out there and rip the best you can thinking about your clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and by the second song, he came over to me. You sound great, son. He said, hey, look, you know, don't don't worry about it. Just then he coddled me and said, just just think about it. You know, just, just wear something like the rest of us. He was right. Lesson learned. You know, that's right. From music advice to fashion advice. <laughs> J-Mac covered it all. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I know you it's remarkable that, you know, you studied the University of Hartford and then really not long after graduating, graduating came back to teach there, came full circle. And teaching has always kind of been an integral part of your career. Um, why is that so important to you? You know, a lot of other guys, they, they're touring, they're, you know, uh, playing. I mean, but you have always made the time to teach. Why is that an important element of your career? Well, thank you for acknowledging that, Brian. Uh, yeah, it's like I looked up and I'd been teaching 28 years. And I certainly don't feel old enough, I, you know, to, to, to say that. But I started at 12. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was proud of you. Um, you know, <clears throat> I started at 24 years old. And I owe it, again, to Jackie McLean. He, he opened that door for me. Uh, I was an adjunct. I was you know, working for Peanuts. But I had a spot. To, to develop not only as as a budding educator but in Jackie's band simultaneously and watching Jackie McLean, Professor McLean, Dr. McLean, you know, watching him the way he taught and played and was involved in the community up there with the artist collective in, in Hartford and all of that the way he did it with such ease and he integrated all of that it was just a perfect blueprint for me in my own way to continue um, that legacy and and kind of do it my, do it ultimately over the years uh, my own way. It's very cool to me, Steve, that you are kind of stepping into the shoes of two of your idols, right? Jackie McLean on the one hand, uh, as a professor at the University of Hartford. Art Blakey, on the other, in that you are now the leader of this group of, you know, youngsters and not so, so youngsters. But, you know, you have a track record of working in bands that have endured, you know, through time. Um, Jazz Messengers, uh, One for All, uh, which is now looking at close to 20 years together, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's hard to believe, but we can't, yeah, we came together around 1995, six, and uh, it's been over. It's been over 20 years. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, it's just no easy feat. So my question, I guess to, to kind of wrap things up is, you know, what does it take to keep bands like these together for so long? Number one. And number two, you know, do you see that happening with this group on correlations? Well, yeah, yes, and and one for all, um, and one for all, right? I would, you know, I we're we're uh, playing an engagement at Smoke in New York in June, and I'm so happy about that, and probably going to do another record pretty soon um, with with that group, 
uh, with Dave Hazeltine and Farnsworth, Joe Farnsworth, Eric Alexander, what Jim Rotundi, John Weber. Um, that that group is always going to be so special uh, for me and for all of us. As far as the Correlations group, I, I think the sky's the limit for this band. I, I just feel like there's a certain fire to this band that's going to burn for a long time. It's not just a quick flame and it's out. Like, I, I really think, uh, and plus, you know, everybody's got a long way to go, uh, you know, uh, and, and especially J JB, Jonathan Barber, and Josh Bruno, they're both 30 years old. I mean, they're just getting, they're just really finding themselves, and they both play so beyond their years, but, you know, everybody's got a lot to say. Everybody's a team player. Uh, there are no big egos or attitudes. It's it's just a, a beautiful blend. And I feel a lot of future in this band, but I also feel kind of the the old one foot in the past and one foot in the in, in the future. And you're just you're carrying the tradition. So there's depth and weight to what we're playing and what we're doing. But there's also kind of this exciting buzz of what could happen. We're not sure. You know, and, and that's that's what jazz music's all about. I love and, it, man. And, I love it. Um, Steve, that's all I had for you today. I sincerely, sincerely appreciate you, uh, you know, sitting down with me and having this conversation. Okay, beautiful. I, I really appreciate it. And who knows, one day maybe we can catch a game at City Field. There we go. We'll hang, man. All right, man. All right, Steve, you enjoy the rest of your day, man. Take it easy. Likewise, Brian. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye. All right, and that's going to do it for another episode of Jazz's Backstage Pass. The theme song for this podcast is the tune Folk Song. It comes from pianist Emmett Cohen's album, The Master's Legacy Series, Volume 1. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. To check out more, visit us online at jazzes.com. Plus, hey, while you're at it, subscribe to our print edition. If you like the way we sound on air, you're going to love the way we look and feel in print. That's it for me, everybody. Until next time. Bye-bye.